And then that time my wife got bit by that camel. Did I tell you guys about that? I'm trying to get in something spiritual here. But let, let me, everybody didn't hear that story though. You know, I, I'm one of those, I'm a, what we teach tater classes in school, and I'm one of those what they call an agitator. You, you do things to see people's reaction and to stir things up. That's what agitate means. And I had old Crown Vic, and I done watched them old camels down there. And so when I got up to the uh, next to where the camel was, I had that Crown Vic, and it was just me and my wife. And she's sitting over there, and I locked her window so she couldn't work it. So she wasn't going to be winding the window up. So we pulled up, man, I got right next to that camel. She held her bucket over next to the one, and that camel stuck his head in there, and when he went to working on a bucket. She started trying to wind the wind up and hollering and carrying on. And man, when she realized she couldn't, she started across me, like she's trying to get over where I was at. And when, when he did, you could hear in the video, and when I got back, I told the church, y'all need to church my wife. Because on the video, I was videoing it. She says, I hate you. And about that time, he, about that time, a camel bit her right on the hip, amen. And boy, I tell you, that blessed my heart, amen. We have a good time when we go up there, so I feel one of those trips coming on, praise God. But, you know, if you're on a wagon, you ain't got no windows wind up anyway. So anyway, uh, I don't know why I told all that, but I enjoyed it while I was there, amen. I'm glad you can be saved and have a good time. I, I mean, you know, we don't have to be all siren drawed up and not enjoy the things that God's given us, man. I, I tell you, bless my heart, said Camel, bite my wife. And, and uh, I was praying, I, when, when Mary was about to get pulled overboard on that wagon, I was praying, Lord, let her go or let her stay, whatever your will is. Amen. <laughs> yeah, but boy, I tell you, you can have a good time in the Lord. I said all that to say this. I had a good time Thursday night. Just being around God's people, going to be in a service, just riding back and forth and and man, God's just good to us. You, you, just because you're a Christian don't mean you can't enjoy life. Matter of fact, we're supposed to enjoy it more than the old sinner that don't know God. We're supposed to be able to enjoy it more. And I, I'm afraid we don't enjoy our salvation enough. Anyway, if you have your Bible, turn with us uh, to Habakkuk. That's the way we're pronounced it this morning. You go over, just, you can turn to Matthew and go back just a few uh, books in the Bible. Hit reverse there and back up just a few books and you'll find... Uh, the small book of Habakkuk. But it's got a lot that it says, and basically I'll just go ahead and tell you what it's all about. It's about God bringing revival. That's what's on my heart, and it's not just because we're getting ready to go into a meeting. I want to see more than just a meeting. We can have revival meetings uh, every week if we want to. We can go to a revival meeting every week, but I want to have more than just a revival meeting. I want to have more than just going, going to a meeting. I actually want revival in my own life personally. And when we look at the Bible here, we're going to spend just a few Sundays here in this small uh, uh, prophecy book, and they call it one of the minor prophets, but oh, it's not minor. That's man's label on it, calling it minor. It's not minor. It's still the greatest book in the Bible. No matter where you're at, the Bible's good. No matter where you turn at. And it's all important, amen, from Genesis all the way over to the book of Revelations. Every bit of it's important. It's been given to us for us to understand. It's been given to us for a God in life and for uh, encouragement, exhortation, and in order that we'd have something to base our beliefs on. But as we look here for just a few moments, I'm just going to read verse 1 to, down through verse 4, and then the next few Sunday mornings we're going to look here in this book, and we're going to preach a little while on revival. And all how we stand in desperate need of revival. So this morning we just want to do a little a brief introduction here in this book. But if you look here with us, it says in verse 1 of chapter 1, said, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, 
I want you to pay attention to that where it said, Did see. And as we look on down a little bit further in verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear, even cry unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save? Why didst thou show me? We see and see, and we see and show me. He said, Why didst thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoil and violence are before me, and there are that rise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slack, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. As we look here in these few verses of scriptures for just a few moments, I want to go ahead and share uh, just my simple thought with you. I was, we was downstairs last night uh, in the basement cleaning up, and as always through the week I'm asking God what we would have a set on Sunday and I'd try to meditate on God's Word and just get some thoughts together. And we was in the basement uh, cleaning up last night. God gave me some thoughts. I went and read just a little bit here in this uh, this uh, book of Habakkuk, and boy, the Lord began to bless me, and He began to allow me to see where He would have us to be at this morning. And if I had a title of the message, I would just simply say, Seeing the Need for Revival. Seeing the Need for Revival. If you look there, the Bible said, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. And then when you move down to verse 3, He said, Why didst thou show me? If you're going to see something, somebody's going to show you, you're going to have to look at that thing. And then he goes on to, uh, in that verse there, he says, it caused me to behold. And that's getting as a, as a picture of looking at something. And boy, I tell you, we need to be looking for revival. We need to see the need for revival. And unless we see the need and unless we're looking for it, I grant you one thing, you probably will not experience it personally. As we uh, begin to study this book here, I want to just give you a, a couple of definitions real quickly. And I'm not a big man on definitions and words. I'm kind of just old simple man, amen. I like those redneck and hillbilly definitions. And I, I was talking the other day to somebody and I mentioned the word bukus. And they, they said, what does that mean? Never heard that. I, mean, I said, that means a whole lot, amen. And that's more of a line that I'm on. But as we look at some definitions, I'll give you the definition of revival real quickly. The word revival actually means to return, recall, recover to life from death or apparent death. The term revival is not used in the Bible, but the word revive is used many times. I was looking in Psalms 119 last night, and the word revive, I can't remember how many times in those verses that revive was actually mentioned, but it was bukus of times, amen, that he was listed in Psalms 119. And we see the word revive in the Bible. Now, revival has become a term that we think about as a, a meeting all week long. Can I tell you, actual revival is more than just a series of meetings. I know churches that have revival meetings at the same time every year, and they continue the same way every year, amen. I tell you what, I'm tired of just having church. I want to come and have more than just church, and I want to have more than just a revival meeting. A revival is actually a movement of God upon God's people, and God's people get to moving, and they get to moving towards a sinner, and a sinner gets to moving towards God. And that's what revival is all about. So as we look here in these verses of Scripture, we'll see this. As we look on at the word revival, revival is not an evangelistic campaign. It is the restoring of life 
of the life of believers and a church that previously had experienced life and was excited about the things of God because they had been born again, but they become cold, they become worldly, and they become ineffective for the things of God. Can I say that's more than what I've seen in the churches? That's where most everybody's at. They're worldly, they've fallen out of love with the Lord, and they have become ineffective for the things of God. It amazes me how people say they love the Lord, and then you call them on their telephone and they'll be bopping to everything except the music of God, amen. They're listening to a song, they got a ringtone 10 feet tall and bulletproof and all these other things. And Friend, I want to tell you, you pack yourself full of the world six days a week and come down to the house of God and think you're going to be spiritual. It don't work like that. And you know, our churches are worldly in their carnile. When you, when you look at some of the church services online, friend, they ain't serving God. They're serving themselves, and they're, they, you're, they're focused on all the things that they're able to do within themselves. We need churches that's on fire for God that gets to the place to where, you know, they're effective for the things of the Lord again. But we're living in a day and hour where the church has grown cold on the Lord. And Brother Watts preached a good message on some of these things the other night. And how people, they just leave the things of the Lord. But maybe they had never been under the things of the Lord in a sense. We need revival. We need revival in the churches. You know, as we look at these verses, we understand the greatest need for the churches of our Lord Jesus Christ is revival. Revival is for the believer, but later it's going to affect the unbeliever. Revival cannot be organized. A meeting can be organized, but revival cannot be organized. You know, going into this tent meeting, we're trying to organize this thing to the very best of our ability. And I'll be honest, it'll probably be like a lot of the other things, flying by the seat of the bridges and praying to God that everything turn out all right. Amen. And just asking the Lord to help and asking the Lord to bless. We can organize any meeting that we want to organize. But if God does not bring revival, nothing is going to happen. And I grant you one thing, it will not last. Now we did see a touch of revival because of the meeting last year and still hearing the testimonies that's coming in this year. But I'm telling you, if we don't get a hold of God, we may leave this year without any testimonies. And I don't want to leave a meeting without any testimonies about what God has done. Friend, we're going into this thing and already know and understand that God's already working some things out. When you call a preacher that's busy every week of the year almost and you've been praying about some dates and God laid it on your heart and you call the man of God up and he said, Preacher, it's already ordained of God because that's the only week I got available, amen. Do you know why that happened? Because we was praying about it. God laid a man on a heart and we began to pray and God gave the peace in a prayer meeting about calling him. And when we called him, he said, brother, that's ordained of God and I'll be able to come. So God's hand is already evident in the meeting actually with it just getting together. But I want to tell you what, if we don't get a hold of God and we don't look for the Lord to bring something great, that might be the only testimony that we have to leave from this meeting with. I don't know about you, but I just don't want to leave the meeting and say, hey, well, the preacher was ordained of God. What about everything else? As we look, God's going to give revival accordance to answering prayer. Now, another word I want us to be familiar with for the next several weeks, not only revival, but an awakening. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time getting up. And I think that's what happens to us sometimes. Boy, we, uh, we work and we labor so long and the next thing you know we get so wore out and we get cold and we get complacent. And boy, I'm telling you what, you couldn't shake us with a boom. And what I'm talking about, one of those Tannerite set-offs, amen. Some of you know what that is, praise God. 
sort of like give you a little example. Let's see, where do I need to start at? This week we've been pretty busy. I've had a couple of days this week. We've worked 12 to 14 hours. Thursday night, we, uh, or Thursday, we worked pretty good while, and we left and went to youth meeting, and the time I got in the bed was about 3 o'clock Friday morning. My first job was at 7 o'clock. I got up, and I went and done the job, come back, and got Preston up, and we went to a, a termite job. It was pretty labor-intensive, done that. Went and finished up another job. Then I had a business out in Winston I had to go to after hours, so we got out there about 5 o'clock, and time we got home, it was 7.30-something to 8 and before I left to go do some of those things, we stopped and checked on a few other little things uh, in between. And then we wound up going to get a bite to eat. And so Friday, buddy, I'm telling you what, I was hammered. Give you a definition of that. I was wore out. So yesterday, friend, I want to tell you what, you can talk bad about your preacher if you want to, but I laid in there, amen. That means I didn't get up before the crack of dawn yesterday. And man, I tell you, I was wore out and I was tired. I'd been laboring, I'd been working, I'd been giving it all that I could. And I just didn't want to get up. And be honest, if somebody would have tried to get me up, you know what would have had? I probably got mad. You put that on the spiritual planes of things. You know, sometimes we'll be laboring for the Lord and we'll be so, get so tired and wore out. I'm talking about spiritually that sometimes we lay down and we don't want to get back up. And if somebody tries to get us back up, the Bible says over in Romans, hey, it's high time to awake and put off those night clothes and to put on the righteousness of God. You know, spiritually speaking, we get so wore out spiritually that we don't want nobody to wake us up. And if somebody tries to wake us up, we have to get mad at them. You know why a lot of people get mad at the preacher? Because he preaches something God laid on his heart and the Holy Ghost trying to wake them up and they just take it out on the preacher. Well, you don't ought not to say that. You ought not preach that. Well, if it bothered you and it's from the Bible, you ought to take it up with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And don't get mad at the mail carrier. Friend, I can't get mad at the mail carrier when he drops the bills off because I made the bills and I got to deal with it, praise God. So we got to understand that, hey, an awakening means that we are awoken again to a, a service or a back to the things of God again. So an awakening is a period of time that God has used to bring revival. In the early to mid-1700s, God used uh, uh, George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards in a movement or an awakening called the Great Awakening. Now let me tell you what had happened to the churches. The churches had become filled with unconverted members. You know what's wrong with a lot of our churches? Have a lot of lost church members. They never make a move towards the things of God. They don't want nothing to do with the things of God. They come in church service, sit with their arms uh, across, and I'm not picking on you because I know it's cold in here, and somebody, my wife's even got her arms crossed, amen? But I'm talking about you sit there all uh, disgruntled and blowed up and everything else and looking for a blessing from God, but you don't really want it deep down on the inside. Can I tell you what a lot of us need? A lot of us just need to get born again and put that church membership to the side and just get it settled with the things of God. It's amazing to me how you go to a church time after time after time again and nobody never moves towards the altar or the work of God. You never hear a testimony out of them about how God worked something out in their life and you ain't never heard a testimony about how they got born again into the family of God. Friend, I'm telling you, if you don't have a testimony about getting born again into the family of God, more than likely you're not in the family of God. And every chance that I get, I want to tell somebody how I got saved by the amazing grace of God. And I tell you, if you've been born again, you want to tell somebody. 
I know that old cement truck driver, when he, when he rolled on the property down there, I says, God, I said, hey, let, 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 me, let me be able to witness to him. And after he got out of the truck, I thought, I said, man, I think I know that guy. And God gave me the opportunity to talk to him. I talked to him about two years ago when he come to the house to pour a pan. And he, I got to talking to him. He says, yeah, I remember you. I said, well, thank God, amen. I got a desire deep down on the inside to tell somebody else about Jesus. And if you don't have that desire, I would check up this morning, amen. But the great awakening people that were church members wound up starting to get saved by God's amazing grace. If you're truly saved, you'll make a move towards the things of God. But these church members started getting saved. Unconverted members started getting saved. The lukewarm people that were powerless, powerless started getting power back. Moral respectability uh, started, uh, uh, you know, that was what everybody was looking at, but they weren't worried about a spiritual birth. Can I say something else? It don't matter how good a person your grandma, your grandpa, your mom, your dad, or whatever the case may be, or your youngins, or whatever you want, however you want to look at it, if they ain't never been born again, they are not going to enter into the kingdom of God. I mean, it ain't no other way to look at it. I mean, it's either saved or lost. Hey, it ain't good and bad and this, that, and other. It's saved or lost. Saved people go to heaven. Lost people go to hell. And we need to say, hey, if we believe that, we better get back to doing what we're supposed to be doing, and that's giving out the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just because they go to church don't mean they're right with God, don't mean they're saved. Friend, I'm telling you, we've been teaching on false doctrine on Wednesday night, and just because somebody goes to a church and they got a steeple with a cross on top don't mean they're all right. Just because you come in here and you're playing the role and you're toting the right Bible and you got the right look and you got the right words, it don't mean your heart's right with God. Amen. Friend, we got to make sure we get that thing anchored down and get it, uh, get it settled. But during this great awakening, a lot of unconverted church members started getting saved by the good grace of God. Boy, I tell you what, that would help any church. Say, boy, I, I don't want to go to that altar preacher because, you know, everybody thinks I've been safe all these years. Don't worry about it. Amen. You'll wish you had one of these days. Amen. I had somebody tell me at one time, he said, well, I don't want to do that because I just don't know what the outcome will be. I said, well, it's Bible and leave the outcome up to God and don't worry about the outcome. As we go on to look just a little bit further, talking about this definition of a, an awakening, an awakening is when church members are revived. And after church members are revived, they start to witness and reach out. And because of that, they have a burden for lost people and they have a harvest of souls that are reaped. The moral climate of the nation is uplifted and awakening can be experienced by an individual, a Christian, or a certain region of the world. And that's what I want to see. I want to see something happen here at Shining Light Baptist. I want to see this community changed. I want to see God do great things. I want to see God do great things over the community in Sandy Ridge. But I don't want it to stop there. I want it to be in our county, amen. Friend, our county is in a mess. I mean, it is absolutely in a mess. And if it's not for God, this county is going to hell in a handbasket because God is the only one that has an answer. You've heard me say it a thousand times talking to that psychiatrist on the phone when she called me up. She said, Jesus is not the answer to everything. I said, ma'am, I beg your pardon. He certainly is the answer to everything. I said, your answer is to dope everybody up, to sedate them, to get their mind off their problems. And when they get up, they still got the same problem and no real way to deal with it, amen. 
Jesus Christ is the answer, friend. I want to tell you what, he is the answer for our accounting. He's the answer for all the epidemics we have going on here. They're focused on the drug epidemic, but what about the drunkard? What about the immoral? What about those not living for God, the adulterer and the fornicator and the homosexual? What about all those epidemics that's going on? It's all still sin. They all still need to be saved by God's amazing grace and still those good moral people, if they're not saved, that's an epidemic. So an awakening, it gets people's attention. People of God start getting right with God and it has an effect on the sinner and they start getting close to God and get saved. And friend, this is what makes a difference. As we look here in our text verses real quickly this morning, as you look up that word, and I know I'm probably not pronouncing this quite right, but that word Habakkuk, it actually means to wrestle. And I want to tell you, any time that you try to move forward for God, you better believe that you're going to be in a wrestling match. Last time I read the Bible, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Habakkuk knew that he was going to be wrestling. God knew that it would be wrestling. And friend, I want to tell you what, this Christian life, it is a wrestling match, but we're not wrestling against things that we can see. And we need to quit wrestling with one another in the houses of God. We need to quit wrestling with the church down the road and realize that it's an enemy greater than the brethren. And we need to start wrestling with that old enemy, the old slew foot, the deceiver, the devil, that old dragon, and start battling the battle that God intended for us to battle. Amen. Hey, my battle's not with the brethren, my battles with the devil that's taking people to hell each and every day and that's the one that we need to be looking at that's the one we need to be concerned about and stop spending so much time on worried about what all the brethren's doing friend I want to tell you this is a wrestling match and I told you before we ever started to work down up there in Sandy Ridge that we would be in some wrestling matches, we'd see some battles along the way and some of you that's been pretty close to this work that we've been involved in, you know and understand some of those battles that we faced along the way and how Pete, God, uh, God will show you some things and how the devil will put some things in place and how he will battle with you so Habakkuk, he, that word means to wrestle and he did wrestle with a lot of things. To start off with, he thought he was wrestling with unanswered prayer. How many of us have ever been there before? How many of us can back away from God because we say, oh God, you're not answering my prayer. We could be like, go back and say, oh God, I've cried so long. And how long are you going to keep putting me off? Friend, I've been there before. Sometimes God don't answer prayer immediately. Sometimes he answers immediately. All we need to understand is by faith we just keep going to God and giving him our prayer requests. Say, oh God, this is what they need. Oh God, this is what our burden is. Oh God, will you answer this prayer? And I grant you one thing upon God's time as long as you're praying in the Holy Ghost, I promise you that that prayer will get answered. Not by what I say, but by what the Bible says. He said he, uh, that name means to wrestle and he wrestled with unanswered prayer but then he wrestled with the thought of the heathen getting away with their sin. You ever wonder why people get away with so many things? It's amazing. Then he also wrestled with a burden for people. This book here was written against the backdrop of apostasy, judgment and unbelieving hardship. It was written during a time when the king of Judea led the people back into idolatry and away from the Lord. 
Can I say that sounds something sort of like where we're at right now? We got so many false prophets and false leaders and false government officials and they're leading the people of this nation back to apostasy and back to idolatry and this nation that was founded on Christian values and Christian principles and the things of God and on faith as a majority, I do believe, have turned their back on the things of the Lord. So that tells me we need a revival and we need an awakening. This is exactly the backdrop that we're seeing here in this what they call a minor, minor prophet. As a result, God is preparing to judge the nation. Habakkuk is having trouble understanding why God would use a heathen nation like Babylon to punish his people. You know, God can use what he wants to to get our attention. He can't understand why God doesn't just judge and purge their sins and draw them back to himself and to his righteousness. Throughout his ministry, though, he had been bringing the matter before the Lord in prayer. And I tell you, that's where we need to be at. If we're going to have any type of revival, it's going to be coming on the feet of prayer, asking the Lord to intervene but seem to no avail. This naturally caused the prophet to wonder why God doesn't seem to intervene. Have you ever wondered why God just didn't intervene? That's where this prophet said. The laws of the land are not enforced. Wow, sound like our land too, doesn't it? The law of the land is not enforced. Wrongdoers are never corrected. And the doors of wickedness are open and the righteousness seems to be pushed into a corner. Sounds kind of like our nation, doesn't it? People get tied up in the court system and they need, they need some type of correction and they just they, they don't do what they need to do and they uh, just let them roll and let them go. And, and friend, we need some correction. We need people upholding the laws of our land and it seems like the evildoer can find more, uh, 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 more uh, liberty than what those are trying to do right. It seems like if you try to do right, you're punished for it. Give you some example. You can raise children out of wedlock and the government will help you, but when a man's trying to do all he can do to raise his family right, you can't get no help from nowhere, amen? But we know and understand we need to look to God for that help. But it seems like we're living in a day that Habakkuk is. In verse 3, he says, Why does thou show me, why doest thou show me the iniquity and cause me to be a whole grievance for spoiling and violence or before me and there are that rise up strife and contention. He's wanting to, under, he's wanting to know, he says, and why do you allow me to see these things? And it brings me to the very simple thought. He was wanting Habakkuk to see the need of revival. <coughs> if we'd all look around and we would agree with one another, we could be just like Habakkuk. We can see a burden for our country that started out right, that was founded right, and was headed in the right direction. Oh, but my, how quickly we can turn. 240-some years later, oh, what a mess that we're in. I'm sure our founding forefathers never would have imagined for us to be in the very place that we're at right here today. And if they could, they would turn over in their grave at the things that are happening here in this great nation that we live in. But until we get a burden for our nation, until we get a burden for our country, we'll never pray for it in the way that we ought to pray for it. And until we get a burden for our country, we'll never pray for the leaders in the way that we ought to pray. Until we get a burden for our country, we'll never get involved in the things of our country to try to keep God first and foremost in our lives. And I was thinking on the way to church this morning, thinking about the mission group that I showed Sunday school this morning. It's it's not going to be too many more years if God tears is coming. Instead of America sending missionaries, the foreign countries are going to be sending missionaries back to America. Can I tell you what God's greatly moving at? He's greatly moving over in the Philippines. 
Uh, over in the Philippines, there are those Filipino people. They'll meet two or three hours before church service and they'll begin to pray and you can't even get them all in the house of God and they show up way before church time to start praying and asking for the blessings of the Lord and to pray for their nation and to pray for their loved ones. And friend, we can come down here. We can't get started on time. We can't get rolling on time. Let on have a prayer meeting before time and give an altar call and nobody ever go down to the altar and pray and you already here and you're in scared your time. No wonder we don't see a movement of revival. But over in the Philippines, they're seeing the movement of revival and God's doing a great work. And over in Africa, you can go right into the public school system and preach Jesus Christ because they're not scared of the government. And they're having a great revival over there in Ghana, West Africa, and in some other areas. And you say, oh, I thought they was healing. They were, but they got born again, praise God. And if God tears his coming, those groups of people are going to be sending missionaries right back here to where you and I are at right now. Friend, it's a sad day in our nation when people are more concerned about everything else going on in the world. We do ourselves well to disconnect from the world every now and then. I'm talking about not worried about what everybody else is doing, not worried about what's on Facebook, not worried about what's on TV, not worried about what's on the radio, not worried about who's getting an American Idol or The Voice or anything else. I'm talking about hearing the voice of God, seeing what's going on in God's house, see what's going on in God's work, and get a hold of things of God. And hey, if you stop to see somebody and they're talking about all that other, you'll get enough information without sitting down, spending, and wasting your time in all these other areas. You say, is anything wrong with that preacher? I want to tell you something wrong with the church and the Christians and I see some of these areas that's affecting us, amen. Friend, we got to get back to the place to where we worry about the things of God and we are a nation that's going under because the Bible says a nation that forgets God will be turned into hell. That's what the Bible says. You go at, friend, I'm glad I'm in Stokes County and Stokes County is a mess but every time I go to a city, I'm this old country boy. And I, I just, I'll soon just be, just be up here in my old country clothes. I, I don't like a tie, but I want y'all to come here and y'all think a preacher's supposed to wear a tie, so I got one on, amen. But every time I go to town, every time I go to city, I think about twice this week, I looked at my wife and I said, man, I'm glad I don't live here. I'm glad I don't. But I tell you, we still got our problems too, don't we? We got to get a burden for our country. Why did God allow a back again? He asked the Lord, he said, Lord, he said, he talked about the burden he did see. He said, Lord, how long are you going to show me these things? He was trying to give him a burden for people. The next thing we ought to have a burden for, not only our country, <coughs> but we should have a burden for our community. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 38. You can turn there if you want to. If not, I'll read it to you if you trust me. It says, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sick and every disease among the people. And notice this, we're talking about seeing the need of revival. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Why was he moved with compassion on them? Because they were sick and diseased? No. Because they didn't have nowhere to live? No. Because they was hungry? No. Because they was lost. It's amazing to me that we can look on a little child and we'll have compassion on that little child when it's not in the best of circumstances and when it's not in the best of conditions, we'll have compassion on that child. 
And we'll it naturally, not, not the day and hour we live in, but naturally you should want to do what you can for that child. We'll look at somebody that don't have a home to live in and we'll have compassion on them because we feel sorry for them because we're going back to a house that has heat and air and lights. But may I tell you, if that person don't get saved by the good grace of God, they'll never have a home. But if they get saved by the good grace of God, if they never have a building to step their foot in to call their own here on this side of eternity, if they get saved by the good grace of God, they'll have something prepared for them in heaven. And when they leave this old world, they've got things beyond their imagination that they never even dreamed of that they could have. We'll see that one that don't have anything to eat and we'll have compassion on them. But yet we'll never take the time to tell them about the bread of life. Friend, I want to tell you what. We can live and we can give bread. We can give crackers. We can give soup. We can buy steak. We can give the very best we can to feed the hungry. But if they don't get the gospel and receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll go into all eternity unprepared to meet God, starving to death. I want you to see why he was moved with compassion. The Bible says because they were faint and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They didn't have nobody to lead and guide them in the right direction. Can I tell you about getting sin and getting a burden for your community? When you go to the community store, no matter where it's at, it may be the Walmart of Meadows, may be the Walmart of Sandy Ridge, you just sit back and watch folks for a while. They're wandering around in there as a sheep that has no shepherd. When you go down to the school system, you watch the majority of the parents there. They're scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. They're running around like they have no guidance in their life whatsoever. And that's why we're in the mess we're in right now. Because they don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And then he went on to say, what are we going to do about it, preacher? Do what Jesus said. Then he saith unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his field. So when you and I get a burden, we can see revival that's needed for our country. We can see revival that's needed for our community. Jesus Christ says, Once you see this crowd of people and they don't have a shepherd, you go praying for labors that God would raise them up and send them into that field. Amen. You know why churches are failing? Because we're not praying for laborers. We need to get back on our knees before God and start praying for revival. And then when we start praying for revival, pray for that country, pray for that community, and pray that God would raise up laborers, amen. Because I'm going to tell you what, you take a handful of people, and I'll tell you what happened to them, you'll work them to death. Amen. I know a guy read his testimony. I don't know him, but I read his testimony. He got saved as a young man, and he'd done a work for God, and he's so zealous for the work of God that by the time he was 18 years old, they had to put him in a nursing home just so he could recuperate. Boy, only if we could have a handful of people with a burden as that. Get a burden for your community. Our communities are going to hell and seem like nobody cares. Churches all over the communities open up their doors every Sunday. But you tell me right now, you think about it, what kind of outreach do they have? That would tell me what they think about their community. When's the last time that you invited somebody from your community down to the house of God? When's the last time you've been an outreach to somebody in your community, told them about the things of the Lord, told them how the Lord loves them, or told them how the Lord saved you? Friend, I want to tell you what, I want to be able to tell my testimony. Matter of fact, I've had many times this week that I didn't even look for, and I'm not saying nothing about myself, but I've got a desire to tell people about Jesus Christ, and if you're born again, you should have a desire for it. But Christ seen that this community 
Friend, he didn't see all the disease. He seen those things, but the main thing he was worried about, he was worried about their spiritual condition. Now, if you will, real quickly, I'm trying to move on here. If you will, real quickly, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 7. I love these verses of Scripture. God gave me these as we was going into the school ministry. Proverbs 7 and verse 6. We've got to have a burden. If we're going to see revival, we're going to get a burden for our country. But if we're going to see revival, we're going to get a burden for our community. Our communities are in a mess. Just wait, when you leave from here, stop by the store, stop by the cafe, stop somewhere, and you'll see what a mess they're in. They've got idolatry in their lives. They've got sin in their lives. You say, what's idolatry? Anything takes the place of God. You know, somebody called me this morning, and it looked like a business. And it made it, I, I was hoping, I was wishing I could have got a hold of the phone and talked to them just a little bit. Friend, I ain't worried about things on Sunday. Sunday's the Lord's day, Amen. And friend, we got to get back to where we realize who God is and what God does and, and get to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we got to get a burden for our community. I bet you go down to the store. I bet you go down to the cafe. It won't be much talk about the Lord. It won't be much talk about what God done in service because most church services, if they did go, God didn't do nothing for them because they wasn't looking for God. And it'll be just talk about casual things, fishing, the softball games have been too, and the 12-packs are sitting on the counter. Open your eyes. Get a burden for revival. See what Habakkuk sin. Get a burden for your country. Get a burden for your community. But in Proverbs chapter 7, get a burden for the children. The Bible says, For at the window of my house I look through my casement, and behold, among the simple ones I discern among the youths a young man void of understanding said passing through the street near the corner and he went to the way to her house. Uh, for time's sake, let me tell you what's going on here. A man's got his little boy. I preached these verses here several times. A man's got his little boy and they're looking out the window of his house and he said, look yonder boy, there goes a nothing getting ready to mess up. There goes a nothing going by the way of a harlot and that's just a picture of temptation. That could be drunkenness, that could be fornication, that could be the drugs, that could be whatever sin you want to put there. And he says, look over there boy, I've raised you right, but there goes another that's messing his life up, boy. You better not never do that. You better take heed to the law of the Lord, and that's good and that's great, but he never told his son to go out there and try to get him between him and the temptation and to stop him before he made wrong decisions in his life. And if you go down and read the end of this, the Bible says she had cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death and he taught his boy right but he didn't care about nobody else and I want to tell you it's more about me and you and my four amen until we get a burden for those outside of our family you say well my children's doing well my grandchildren's doing well but yeah what about everybody else's children let me tell you how this could work one of those children that you weren't worried about trying to see get right with God what if they're the one that comes by your child's way Think about it. Here comes that child by your child's way. Yeah, y'all been looking out the window watching him all this time. Now your little boy decides he ain't gonna listen to you and now they're going down to the house of the harlot by the way of temptation and they done grabbed your youngin because you wasn't worried about the neighbor's youngin. Somebody help us right here, amen. You mark her down. That's the way this thing usually happens, praise God. I remember the first time I ever put marijuana in my lips. It was because of a neighbor Think about it. Boy, I ain't, you, well, them little kids, I ain't, I ain't worried about them. My kid's doing all right. Grandkid's doing all right. But you better worry about these other children. 
Friend, I want to tell you what I honestly believe, that God gives a ministry for uh, all age groups, but we better focus on some children, seeing them get right with God, because if the Lord tarries is coming, this upcoming generation's in a mess. They don't know how to work. They don't know how to respect. They don't know God. Just be honest, they don't know hardly anything, amen, the majority of them because nobody's showing them the way. We do well to sit back and teach our kids in the church house, hey, look out here, there goes temptation. But don't let it stop there. We need to teach them how to go out and step in between that temptation. People dying and going to hell every day, and we seem like we don't even care. I'm talking about sin a burden for the children. Our children's in a mess. You talk to some of the children that come into this church, whether they, uh, cut, whichever way they come in, don't make no difference, but all of them's going through troubles and trials and things in their life, and they have burdens and things that need to be prayed for. And friend, you get out in this community, you talk to the children, you realize real quick that you never knew what a child could be going through. See the brokenness on their face, the emptiness in their life, the darkness in their life. And then you get to hear about the circumstances and things that they share with you along the way. And boy, I realize how blessed my children are. They might not realize it, but to be raised up in a home that loves the Lord and stays in church and tries to go by uh, the way things got, uh, the things that God has for them. And I'm not saying anything about us, but friend, my children are blessed to be there because just to be honest, they've not experienced any of those other ways. We've got a lot to be thankful for. And we need to help these children in those, in those tough situations and let them know that there is hope in God and you just get saved by God's amazing grace and you pray and ask God to help. God will get you through anything that you ever face in life because everybody don't have the privilege that my children's had. And we need to realize that. I'll show you these last few verses this morning talking about seeing revival or seeing the need of revival. I tell you what, if some of these children don't break your heart when you see out in the community some of the things they're involved in in the school system, when you hear the testimony, and I, I, I ain't a big advocate of Facebook, it's got its place, but I've got a lot of those kids that they have friended me, and sometimes I look and go through there, and I'm like, oh my. See the conditions they're in. See the things they're involved in. See the statements that they're making. Church, I'm telling you what, it's time to wake up. It's time to ask God, say, oh God, what would you have me to do? Oh God, Lord, please don't let me just sit back and do nothing, Lord. And you say, well, I'm praying, well, that's good and great. But God may have something greater for you than that. The next thing, talking about seeing the need of a revival, we need to get the burden of crying back. Amitatius chapter 3. I'm going to briefly read you about three or four verses here. Verse 48 says, My eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destructions of the daughter of my people. He said, My eyes are running like a river because I'm broken because I see the condition. I wonder when's the last time we actually wept over somebody. I'm talking about earnestly wept. Because of the condition somebody was in. Not because it directly affected you. Listen to what I'm saying. Because it's real easy for us to get broken hearted when something's going on in our life personally. But I'm talking about where you're so broken you see the condition of your country or your community or some of these children and you actually get so broken where you weep and you cry over them and your eyes are running cry tears as rivers because of the destruction that these people are involved in. Friend, I want to tell you what, this world is self-destructing. 
Look at, look at our people today, 40 years old and down, they're in a terrible mess. They're mutilating themselves. And friend, they're doing all kinds of things to themselves, killing themselves with the things they're putting in their bodies. And don't tell me they're not self-destructing. And friend, we don't seem like we're even heartbroken over it. We want to do like that man, just look out our window and talk about how bad it is and not get involved and not step in a gap and not try to do something about it. Can I say shame on us that are like that? Then he goes on to say, he said, My eye trickleth down and cease not without any uh, intermission. That word intermission means like a break time. He said, I'm weeping and I'm crying. He said, I ain't got no time for break. And then he goes on saying, Till the Lord look down and behold from heaven. You know what I think gets the Lord's attention? When a saint of God gets revival back in his life and he has a revival of crime and the Lord looks back down from heaven. I said, right over there is the individual that's wanting to see me do something in somebody's life. I still got one right there. And it may be like one hit this altar and they say, hey, right there is one. And because of that, it may be another that would get a revival of tears. And then another hit this altar and God looked down and say, hey, there's two that they're crying and they're weeping over a generation. They're crying over their community. They're crying over their children. And God say, hey, I, they really are wanting me to do something for them. They're wanting to see revival. And that gets God's attention. And God, because of their prayers, it don't take a multitude of people to get God's attention when you get heartbroken before the Lord. He says that, hey, in verse 50, to the Lord look down and behold from heaven. And look what verse 51, he says, my eye affected my heart because of all the daughters of my city. You know what he said? I took a moment to look around and I seen the condition of the people. And he said, my eye got a hold of my heart. Until we see the condition that our communities are in. I'm talking about from little children all the way up to older people. Until we look around and see that condition and get those tears back, I grant you one thing, we'll never see true heartfelt revival until we get back to that place.